There's no reason to be nervous. It's just a sink. Yeah, well, you know, ships sink. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Here's episode three. Here we are. We're doing, what's it called? A Town Called Panic from 2009, a movie you probably haven't heard of. No. It's French stop-motion animation with toys. It's an hour and 15 minutes long, and yeah, it's it's a movie that I've never really met anybody who, like, knows it, except for the person who introduced it to me, but I absolutely loved it. And the basic synopsis of the plot is that three characters, a horse, a cowboy, and an Indian, get into some wild shenanigans after a simple mistake ordering a birthday present. They live in this rural countryside area where there's a postman on a bike that delivers mail, and there's a policeman in a small booth. They have a neighbor that's a farmer with his wife. It's all very, very delightful and whimsical. And it was only shot in like 260 days, which I think is rather quick for stop motion animation. That's probably due to the fact that they use toys, like malleable toys. I think they have some shots where like they just quickly, like in a frame, just shot to another toy that they had that was just very similar but like an arm was bent just something like that (laughs) and so it looked like the toy was mobile when i think it was just like two different toys so i mean i think that really helped speed it up but yeah you were the one who introduced me to this movie and i have two questions for you one why are you so enamored with this movie And two, why the heck are we talking about it on this podcast? Yeah, I guess I have a little bit of a reputation among my friends of trying to get somebody to enjoy this movie. And most everybody I share it with, they either tolerate it or they're just like, I don't get it. Some people are just like, yeah, maybe if we smoked some weed, it would be fun. And I'm like, it's not a chore. It's supposed to be fun. (laughs) I have never seen a movie that made me think, oh, I could only enjoy this if I was high. Either the movie's good or it's not. Yeah. And I'm sure some people argue it enhances the experience for certain movies, but this movie, no, that, no. I perfectly enjoyed this film, totally sober. (laughs) Well, and I did too my first time watching it. How I saw it was in an intro to film class, and I always think of the movie that I saw right before this, because in the intro to film class, everybody would get assigned to a movie that we're going to watch throughout the quarter, and I got assigned to the movie right before A Town Called Panic, so I didn't even get to go up in front of the class and talk about this movie, but the movie that I got assigned to is called Tampopo from 1985. It's a Japanese movie about a ramen restaurant and also a lot of scenes where people are having weird sex with food. It was a movie that I didn't really enjoy, and I could objectively say it was a little bit unpleasant to me, and I got the generic Western cliches they were trying to come up with. Their ramen restaurant situation, they were treating it as if it was a traditional Western. And so it was weird with intermissions of even weirder, just, I don't know. I I don't think it's a movie for me. And I said as much. Then we have this movie come on. So after seeing something where it's deeply uncomfortable, just unpleasant and not very fun, then we get this whimsical, lovely, 
just fun movie that doesn't really need to make sense. It just does whatever it wants to do and you're along for the ride. And I was just enamored right there. I saw that and I was like, wow, I've never heard of this movie before. I absolutely love this. Every single moment felt like a revelation of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? Can they keep raising the bar of like things are getting wilder and crazier? And yeah, I think they can. <laughs> but everybody in the class also was like, yeah, I don't really like it. I thought it was boring. I thought it didn't make sense to me. I don't like this. Uh, I would have preferred Pan's Labyrinth. Have they never watched a cartoon? Like, any cartoon. And that's the thing. It makes me think so much of SpongeBob SquarePants. Like, so many of the visual gags and the item gags that they do in this are SpongeBob SquarePants stuff. Like, being able to take an item and put it on your head and go, yeah, now I can breathe underwater because I put a TV on my head or a fishbowl. Like, that's literally Sandy the Squirrel's character concept. <sighs> I'm, I'm getting irate. And that's... That's why I took this personally. And for me, what I take personally is the fact that, at least to me, it sounds like you have not found anyone who actually enjoys this movie. And that just seems wild to me. I had a couple issues with, like, things. Just being picky, really. If I'm trying to be critical with it, I have some issues with it. But... As just fun, really funny stop-motion animated movie. I found it very charming. It was funny, like I've said over and over. It was just a nice, what, hour or so? Hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, it, it was just a real nice hour and 15 minutes. I just had a great time. Why? <laughs> Why does no one like this movie? Well, and that's what I wanted to explore here is I thought, you know, we've we've introduced the movie. If you want to watch it yourself, you may as well just turn the podcast off now and, you know, give it a watch yourself. And maybe you'll think it's better. But I thought, you know, for anybody that's on the fence, who's like, well, I'm probably not going to watch this movie that has French subtitles anyways. And it is easier than ever to watch it because you want to know where I watched this? Where'd you watch this? I watched this on YouTube for free. I just did a search for a town called Panic and... Yeah, just there on YouTube for free. Someone's had it up there for a while. Hour 15 minutes and it's uh, just English subtitles. It's all there. It's so easy. Just go watch it. You know, it really strikes me as this is a good movie. I almost feel like we can't really podcast this. I genuinely feel the same way about it is where... This is a movie that I enjoyed, but it's also a very simple, the word that comes to my mind about it is pedestrian story. It's a simple movie for the most part, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah. It is straightforward in its story so that every single scene is just jam-packed with so many things. So many things that you'll miss the first time. Like, when I was watching it, I just needed to constantly rewind it to see things. That's like, wait, wait, what, what's going on there in the corner of my eye? <laughs> Let's go back. The simplicity of the story really allowed them to go all out on the visual gags. And is really good. Yeah, it's just a goofy film. Like, the, the waffle machine at the music school... Just this vending machine that sends out giant waffles that are reasonably sized, probably for us, but for the toys, they're absurdly sized. 
and that came back later. Like they really love waffles, apparently, because the underwater seamen they love their waffles. <laughs> Maybe we can call them something else. <laughs> <laughs> they were seamen. Yeah, what they're, do you want from me? People. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, there's so many like great, just short, like blinking you miss it bits. That's just really good. Like. Just a real short, quick one is at one point they're all going to sleep. And so Horse, which is fully sapient, talks to everyone. When he goes to sleep, he goes to his room, puts a blanket on top of his head, and just stands on his bed. (laughs) And that's it. It's just really good. After kicking off his his horseshoes. Yeah, he just kicks off the horseshoes. Just... Yeah, it just slides them right off. But I, I really like that first segment um, because it's the most normal segment of the movie where they introduce the problem. Cowboy and Indian forgot to get a birthday present for their roommate Cheval, which is what they call him in French. He's horse, but I'm going to call him Cheval because I don't like that. And I'm going to call him horse. I like throughout the movie, they're always calling out or exclaiming Cheval. And I don't know, it kills me. But... Yeah, so they devise a plan to make a grill out of bricks, but they don't have enough bricks. So they order bricks, but they order too many bricks. As Brad said, this is a really simple plot. And so it's something that really delights me, though. They order too many bricks. You know they have too many bricks. But the story continues on. Horse comes back to the house and they have a birthday party, which I absolutely loved every bit of that. But you don't see the bricks. Yeah, two wonderful gags about that I love is, like, when the bricks are arriving. It's like, there's just the one truck of bricks, and, like, they sign off on it. It's like, okay, great, we have exactly as many bricks as we want. And then another truck comes and drops off the same amount of bricks. And then another, <laughs> and then another, and then another. And, like, it's this ongoing thing, and just the escalation of it is so well done. It actually causes horse not to be able to come home in time to catch them because there's so much traffic but what i really like about it is that it's equal parts suspense and surprise like suspense is obviously you know that there's a killer in the closet and surprise is you didn't know there was a killer in the closet and now you do we both know the bricks are somewhere but we don't know where it's not explained at all and that's why i really delighted in that is as horse is going to bed and putting the blanket on and just standing there Mm -hmm. and putting his new hat present on the wall, you start to find out where the bricks were really put. I don't understand how it's not delightful, especially with the party before that, with all of the weird dancing of the characters, the the chocolate covered hay bale. (laughs) Yeah. And how horse eventually made it home. (laughs) The situation with his car, which I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. The The grill that they make out of bricks is just left at his parking spot. So he's just driving along, then bam, smashes right into it. So from there, you mentioned the sea people, because that becomes a problem for them as they try and rebuild their house. Their walls keep getting stolen because that's how this movie goes. They chain their walls down, all that. Something that's kind of interesting about the rebuilding scene is that when Cowboy and Indian are shirking their duties and watching their broken TV that's just been blown back up with air, on the TV is actually an episode from the original A Town Called Panic TV series. It's their soccer episode. So they're watching their own show. Yeah, I noticed that. I wasn't sure if the show came first or the movie did. But yeah, I saw that on the TV. It's like, did they record that special for this? 
<laughs> no, I'm pretty sure the TV show came first and then they added in this movie. Another thing from the TV show, as they're doing a chase, you might remember a, a nice little cottage with a very friendly character that could be described as a bear. Right. It's a very friendly bear. Yeah, and that, that bear was from the TV show too. So if you'd watched the show, you might expect that, but I don't feel like you need to. It's just It's something that pops out and it's just like... This movie doesn't take itself seriously, and things just happen like that. People are just like, no, 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 I'm going to ring the doorbell, and no, 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 I'm going to pull trap doors, and they, they just perpetually find themselves digging a deeper and deeper hole for themselves. All while screaming in French. Yeah, and it's all this screaming in French, so it's... <laughs> I just love how they're screaming, like, cowboy? And Indian? It's, it's always like an up inflection. <laughs> I love Indian's voice so much. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel like it would be a different and lesser experience hearing it in English. I'd agree with that. It does make it harder to recommend the fact that it is a comedy with so many visual gags to also need to read the dialogue. But those French voices, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And the movie does drag a bit. Once things start to escalate wildly and they go underwater, it starts to be a little bit like, oh my gosh, okay, what what could even possibly happen next? And I'd say that's where it starts to get weaker. But the people who disliked the movie watching it with me did not make it that far. They made it to like uh, the bricks situation has sort of revealed itself. And then they're like, huh. Wow. Yeah, I don't think this is my kind of movie, you know? Uh, maybe we could watch something good? That's crazy! That's my favorite part! Yeah, I'm like, that's where it's just getting good. You have that fun house party with the, with the cheap beer. People are dancing. <laughs> and horses. It seems like it's going well with him and... Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Uh, uh Miss Longray? Longhair? Yeah, long gray. Long gray that's right. Um, I remember my teacher really talking about that, like the segment of the dream sequence when they're living in a barn with all of the different barn animal characters. The the dream sequence of horse and the music teacher, Mrs. Longray, who's also a horse but not named horse, dance and he's clearly enamored with her. And part of the movie is just everything is getting in the way of him trying to be with her. To attend her music lessons. Yeah, to attend music lessons because he wants to be around her. And something that we haven't brought up yet is how generally nice it is. It's not a mean-spirited film, really. Like, like yeah, like the sea people uh, are antagonists, but in general, like, even the jerk character in it has moments of like being nice and everyone like cares about each other yeah and it's it's just really sweet in a way it's it's just pleasant i like in uh like roughly the middle of the movie there's a gag where they're falling on a rock deep down into a hole and because they've been falling so long they're just all playing cards including the sea person that they caught that was trying to steal their stuff right it's just like it's it's a gag of like haha we're falling for a long time but it also is kind of like yeah and we put up a truce you know we're not going to kill you we're mad that you took our walls 
Yeah, and it is really kind of in character, like as in character as you can be, like this sort of premise where they absolutely would if they were falling long enough. Yeah, is they just hang out with a dude for a minute before getting back to it. And I mean, when they get captured by a giant penguin robot with very aggressively strong scientists, they are willing to hatch an escape plan with him. Like, they're all on a team together against adversaries. I almost feel like the sea people are minor antagonists, and everything else might be seen as greater antagonists, like the bear or the scientists are much bigger problems. Right. And the scientists... (laughs) I'm not really sure what their goal is. (laughs) Um, They were antagonistic in the sense where they temporarily enslaved the characters but they didn't wish the characters particular harm and their (laughs) goals did not (laughs) they weren't like opposed to the main characters like they're antagonists but they're not villains or would it be the other way around i don't know they're not vicious yeah they're not cruel yeah if you notice they get there and there's like trash everywhere inside of that robot area once they get out of the snowball scooping section which i really like i feel like they use salt or sugar for the snow it just it really appeals to my eye yeah it looks like a really like fine sugar yeah but in the main area where the scientists are working there's trash everywhere and the services that they're having these characters do is cleaning dishes mopping up polishing the orb in the middle of the room that they're using to terrorize the world and deliver coffee And something I really love about this movie is its obsession with coffee. Everybody's having their coffee, but it's in different ways. Yeah, just constantly. And every single time they have coffee in the movie, I think, they use different vessels. Like Stefan, the farmer next door that's always screaming, he has like a legitimately realistic size for humans, not for toys, container for his coffee in the morning, I'm pretty sure. And one thing that I was wanting to talk about before we get to, like, the real crux of, like, what our big question is, what we're taking personally, is the relationship going back between horse and cowboy and Indian. I know, like, in your film class, I think you brought up earlier that uh, that was something that was discussed. And I did, I did stay up at night. Like, the day I watched it, I was staying up at night thinking about their relationship and how interesting it was. And that's the thing, is you don't really have much to work with. I mean, they call him Cowboy, but that's just because he's wearing a cowboy outfit and has a gun. It doesn't really reflect anything on his personality. He's not a typical cowboy character. Um, He's more like a child. And same with Indian. Any stereotypes are out the window and it's just a character that looks like an indian plastic toy yeah it's like how i used to play with my toys is that whatever property they were from like he wasn't the red ranger or anything like they were these different characters all together that just happened to look like the ones from the shows and whatever the interpretation i had when i watched the movie was that cheval aka horse is a father character to these two child characters that get into shenanigans and are always causing trouble. And I thought that was what everybody would interpret. I was like, that's a lame theory. That's like, <laughs> it's like saying uh, Homer Simpson is the father in that family, right? And the teacher's like, huh, kind of thought they were roommates, but 
I suppose it's up for interpretation. And I was like, roommates? <laughs> so I did consider that as well as like if he is a sort of like paternal figure, but I didn't really see it that way when I thought about it. The idea that came to me is that he is definitely like an older sort of role model to them in that he has like the same sort of like power structure like over them as a father would but he doesn't really take like horse doesn't really take a paternal role in this relationship like he's not trying to teach them right or wrong or anything he's mostly just dealing with their nonsense (laughs) Uh, and so he's sort of like a much, much older brother, almost. Yeah. It's like, I have seen a family where the eldest brother is so much older than the youngest that he could have been his dad. There's that big a difference between them. And the relationship between that oldest and youngest brother, that is what I was reminded of, is where... There's still that sort of power structure there of being so much older. At least that's what it appears, but without going so far as being a father. Yeah, I've seen that trope before. I mean, that's like something you'd see in pretty sure Malcolm in the Middle or any other like family sitcom where there's an older sibling that might be out of the house. Right. So they come back in and it's like they're not a father figure, but they're like, come on, I learned that lesson. Why haven't you already? because you're younger and i could see that actually and i was going to suggest something not nearly as accurate as that that seems like the right answer here is an older sibling that's like it's my birthday today actually them being like "Uh oh well he's not gonna say anything but (laughs) we wouldn't want to disappoint him Mm -hmm. is the vibe yeah because they care about horse they do care about horse uh, enough to debate you know whether to get him a repeat present or get something actually new and that's really what causes the problems in the movie and i'd like to jump over to the end if we can where there's a literal onslaught on this town that's apparently called panic that i absolutely love Uh, after the underwater segment which i thought was sort of uh, the the underwhelming part of the movie they uh retreat to land and then there's an attack on steven and his wife's house which I really enjoyed. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I'm curious what you thought as they were pumping pigs in through the window and cows through the chimney. I loved... My favorite part of it was the aftermath, like after it had all fallen apart. (laughs) And it's just left with just this still shot of the house with all these cows sticking (laughs) out of the windows. And it just lingered there for a moment. It's like, well... This didn't work. It's just one of those scenes that is wildly like things are just falling apart and it's going to chaos as people are coming up through the shower tub and attacking and people are fleeing and they take over the house and so they're trying to take back the house and then they're shooting down this wall to barricade into the house. And it's, there's no rules, but it's fascinating. It's like if a D&D game between two parties that keep rolling natural ones. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to say. I'm like, I don't know if I really should bring it back to D&D, but that's exactly how it feels. It's like, this is a scenario that would be 
hilarious in D&D. Like, this entire movie feels like a D&D game with players who are like, I don't know what the dice are doing to me tonight. I know you're trying not to kill us, but... Well, we're captured by robot scientists now. <laughs> but that final combat, I just absolutely love it. It's just the raw chaos of it. And I like how in the aftermath of it, when the scene like fades back in, it's like a year later or something, and the sea people are friends with them and everything, and they've got this all figured out. They're now members of the town, just underwater and all that. Not addressed how they made up at all. It doesn't matter. It's just they're all friends now. It all worked out. Yeah, everything floods, and the entire town people are like, oh no, should we give up? They have like that defeated expression, and then Cowboy and Indian are like, okay, let's start cleaning up. What are you waiting for? Let's clean up. It's just got that lighthearted, okay, yeah, so we clean up, fades to black. One year later, everybody's made up and made friends. Clearly, what's happened is they used those bricks to rebuild the house, and then because that final scene eventually shows you this cutout, you can see that the house underwater is directly underneath the house that's on land. So it's like this mirror image and it's like, we're not so different. <laughs> I just, I, I love that the postal worker upgrades his postal bike to be able to go underwater. Like it turns into a, a propeller. We'll call it a propeller. I absolutely love that. And I love, love that final song. I don't know. It fills me with so much joy and then everything ends in chaos anyways because it's one year later and nothing gets solved it's just going to be raw chaos yeah it's panic a town called panic because <laughs> something's always going wrong apparently but at the same time life seems so simple there mm -hmm. like you can see in the opening scene the the postal workers just you know pedaling along he's in a different animation to start with and then they go to stop motion animation which is weird <laughs> i recall some people being like so this doesn't look like stop motion animation to me and it's like okay well we're 10 seconds in i know it's weird this isn't going to be the weirdest thing you see so <laughs> <laughs> it's the weirdest thing you see in a stop motion animated film it is some traditional 2d animation in the beginning then man that is gonna be the most boring movie i can imagine yeah. <laughs> so on our scale of negative 10 to positive 10, what would you put this movie at? Uh, would you mind if you go first? Yeah, I love this movie, but I get what it is, I think, in the sense that I would put it as an 8 out of 10. If you're looking for stop motion animation, there are better movies. I think Coraline is a much better movie overall. It's more coherent. It's quality stop-motion animation. But that doesn't mean this movie's bad. It's just, it's it's a fun, quirky thing that I think people should like. One of these days, we will disagree on a film, but that is not today. I also give it an 8 out of 10. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is really good if you are a fan of... So I, I can't just say if you're a fan of comedy films, watch it. But if you're in the mood, I'd say for a stop-motion animated comedy film, it's really good. Hour and 15 minutes. It's all on YouTube. It's free. It's just a real good time. 
yeah, like we said, there's some pacing issues later on. And it does feel like a little overly long near the end, but not at the end. Yeah, there's just that underwater segment that's just kind of... And I don't know, the scientist part, too, is a little bit where I... In most movies, I struggle to pay attention at a certain point. And that's usually what I call the bad points of a movie or the slow points. And and the scientist is where I start to go, huh, wonder what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. And then I realize I haven't been paying attention. I'm like, oh, okay. Nope, nope. I'm still paying attention. And it's like the underwater. And it's like, okay, well, they're playing a song here with a chase scene. Haha, I get it. They, they're being chased. And then they have a cutoff moment for where they dance with the people who are chasing them and then continue being chased. Ha ha ha. I get it. Yep, X absolutely that's exactly how i felt at the exact place where i felt it and it does go on a little while for a film that has an hour and 15 minutes that does end up being a significant amount of time uh and so that's why i drop it down to an eight but i mean really it's it's a good film it's the best one we've seen uh for this show so far yeah i mentioned the movie tampopo earlier and i think of that every time somebody's like hmm I don't like this movie. I think, huh, maybe you'd like to see somebody have sex with some food. But I think that in my head because they would be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Uh-oh, Jeff from production just texted me. He needs to have a talk with me about our product line. So I'm going to be right back and then we'll get to a commercial break. I've got my water on me today. I don't need to go anywhere. Uh, we are currently at 41 minutes, almost. I am terrified about what this commercial will be. I am never ready for them. No matter how hard I try, I, I cannot predict what Adam is going to go with. Or where specifically he's going to drop um like the where i'm supposed to yes i end at <laughs> so that terrifies me oh neil gaiman wrote Coraline. i didn't know that all right so i talked with our producers namely jeff and they want us to do 60 second reviews of movies or tv shows that we like they want it to be upbeat and they want it to be positive and they said it has to be about superhero shows or movies this episode. So we'll start with you, Brad. Tell us about a superhero movie or TV show in 60 seconds. And hold up. Actually, I'm just looking at my text now. They would like you to talk about the show Invincible, possibly based on a manga? Invincible is definitely a manga. And it is about a boy learning what it's all about to be a super boy. It's really good, very graphic though, so you're probably not going to want to show it to the kids, but it is a really well done story. It is the first bit of media I have ever seen, like a show based off a comic book or a movie or anything, that made me actually want to read the comic book it was based off, and I did. I read the whole thing. It's great. 
I can say they've changed some things in the show, but everything they added to it has made it a better product. The comic book, I would give like an 8 out of 10. For the show, for the first season, the art style is hair miss. The animation is definitely low budget at times, you can tell. But they really saved a lot of it for the last episode, which is just really wonderful. And a heck of a ride. But again, watch it before you have any kids. This is not safe for work. 8 out of 10. And that's Invincible in 60 seconds. Now, it's my turn. The movie that I'm going to tell you about is called Special from 2006. It's one of the first superhero movies I enjoyed. And, well, it's not quite a superhero movie, but it is in a way. It's about a guy who works as a meter maid, feeling unimportant and not being very special. People routinely take advantage of him to get no parking ticket, and so he wants to become special. So he takes part in a medical trial for an experimental medication, and this causes him to firmly believe he has superpowers like going invisible, running through walls, and other super stuff. People around him see the truth, though. He says he gets a nosebleed from running through walls, and when people see him do it, he gets a nosebleed, but... It's from smashing his face in the wall. So you can imagine how well he does on the streets fighting crime in a homemade costume. It has a lot of heart, it has a lot of funny moments, but it also has its sad moments. It reflects a lot on what people want, I think, to be special, to be somebody who can make change. And I really like this movie because it was a take on superheroes I had never seen before. An honest one. It's worth a watch if you want to see something that has heart. I give it a 7.5 out of 10. This has been two 60-second movie or show reviews from Brad and Adam. And now back to our long-form show. Okay, so I've thrown out a lot of hyperbole about how people are stupid for not liking this movie uh, and whatnot. But, okay, so let, let's dial it in now. Alright, so why do you think people actually don't like this movie? So I would say the first reason is the one that people tell me the most is one, it's French. And then two, it's in French. Like some people are like, yeah, I can do with European movies as long as they're speaking English, but this is in French with subtitles. And I don't know for subtitles. A lot of people can be picky about that being like, I don't really want to read my movie. I just want to watch it and enjoy it. If I wanted to read, I'd read a book. But even then there are people who are more forgiving like I've I've seen people more forgiving of Japanese language with subtitles, especially with Spirited Away. I've heard people say the English dub, they hate it, can't listen to it, and would rather have subtitles than listen to the English dub. Wow, I've never heard that. I heard that and I was like, oh my gosh, I love the English version. I've never heard it in original Japanese. Both versions are beautiful to me. It's one of my favorite movies, and one of the few movies I'll give a 10 out of 10. Hey, that's a bonus review. You guys just got a bonus review if you're listening to a Town Called Panic episode. Um, 9 out of 10. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> agree to disagree. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's both French and in French, and I think that's a big obstacle to get people to go over. And then it lacks a basis in lore. Like, there's no intellectual property to work off of. There's no familiar concepts or anything. It's it's not like a movie where you can go, Underworld, oh, I'm not familiar with Underworld. Oh, vampires and werewolves? Yeah, yeah, I get those concepts. I'm in. I can do that. A Town Called Panic is like, okay, that doesn't tell me anything. I'm not familiar with this. And I think that can be a turnoff to people who need sort of like a, a hook to get into a movie. And there's also no, like, actors or anything that most American audiences, I think, would recognize. Well, it gives the viewer something to cling on to. Yes. And I feel, 
especially as I'm getting older and all the people I know are generally getting older, having an hour to two or three hours to spare gets more limited. And so for people to be like, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch this movie, make it worth my time. And that's one part of why I don't think a lot of people want to watch it. It's just, I don't know. And then when they do watch it, I think the fact that it doesn't play by rules can lead people who already had a disagreement with it because of lacking a basis in any like lore or anything. It's just like, so, okay, this nonsense movie isn't even taking itself seriously. They have a giant piece of toast that the farmer is just chewing through, like he flies across the table chewing it and he slams into his giant espresso container and runs out. Why, why take it seriously? When he needs to repair his tractor, he puts it on the kitchen counter and performs surgery on it. <laughs> With all of his cows, it's like the nurses. <laughs> but I love that. You, you, don't, you can't anticipate that. That's what excites me about this movie, is it's safe, so you know nobody's going to be like, ah, I'm being tortured to death, here comes my eyeball. You know everything's going to be safe and exciting and weird and fun. But I don't know. We've said it a few times, and I think my fourth reason is that it isn't big. This is literally borderline slice of life. The premise is two guys forgot to get their roommate or older brother a present for his birthday, so they tried to get him a present and things go wrong. Like, tell me that doesn't sound like a slice of life anime. Hmm. Yeah, for real. I said it before, I'll say it again is a very pedestrian setting and plot yeah it's definitely very pedestrian that's a good word for it i've been like thinking about that since you said it like yeah i, th I think i get what you mean now it's very pedestrian yeah and i think all all four of those thoughts combined to me to suggest that it's a small stakes silly unrelatable chore for a lot of people like chore being people have said i don't want to read a movie and like, why are you going to put in the work to read a movie that doesn't even bother to have rules and has nothing you know offhand and doesn't do anything? Mm -hmm. Like, nothing major really happens. Nobody loses anything significant. It feels almost alien at that point. It, it does. It's like you're in an entirely different world watching something that has no basis in anything that you understand. You don't even understand the language. And it has its own rules, like you said. It's hard to grasp or care about anything in that situation when you have nothing it feels like to grasp onto. Yeah, there's nothing at stake. But you had mentioned another idea of why you thought that people would be disinterested in this. Yeah. Um, yep, and I think your four points together... That's absolutely a reason why. Another reason, I think, is the fact that it is stop-motion animation. Oh, that hurts me so much. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But people tend to be less willing to engage in like that specific medium than they are with like a live-action or traditional 2D animation or like not-ugly 3D animation. When you see a movie that's in one of those others, it's just easily appealing. With live action, is true to life. Uh, so you have that you can grasp onto. Traditional 2D animation or not ugly 3D animation, you can revel in like the beauty of it. 
stop motion animation has its benefits, but one of them traditionally is not in its beauty. It tends to be a sort of uglier medium, like in general, and there's an uncanniness to it. Like you can clearly tell like what is going on when you watch it in a way that when you're watching good 3D animation uh, or like 2D animation is the actual drawings or the polygons on the screen, they tend to disappear as you watch them. And it's easier to engage and get sucked into that as the lines blur. But with stop motion animation, for a lot of people, they never stop seeing the fact that someone has typically painstakingly moved this model, a lot of times like clay or lots of other mediums, like around over and over and over. And you can oftentimes see each individual cut of it. And so those lines never really blur. And so there's this constant uncanniness to it. And the most popular movies that like, really take advantage of that tend to be spooky films. Like you brought Coraline earlier. That movie definitely gets spooky. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas. It revels in it. One you brought up earlier when we were talking about the movie in general uh, is the original King Kong from 1933. Yeah, that was a movie... It was a horror film. Like, yeah, we're not going to be scared of it today. But it did spook people back then. And all these movies that tend to be really popular that really lean into that uncanniness factor. And this movie doesn't. Which isn't to any sort of, like, detriment to the film. Like, it doesn't make it a worse film, the fact that it's not spooky. But that does mean that... For people that are looking for a stop-motion animated movie, if they see that, based off what other popular films of the same style have done, they're probably going to expect something a little spookier than you get with this film, which is thoroughly unspooky. And so there's this, that constant uncanniness, which is, in general, a benefit to the medium can contribute to sucking people out of the experience of this film, in my opinion. That's a very interesting idea. I hadn't really considered that. The idea that lines are blurred when you're watching different animation styles. Mm -hmm. I mean, all I can think of is that I don't have that issue with stop-motion animation. I get sucked in real easy by it, even when it's just toys, and even when it's not supposed to be spooky. Like with Coraline, there are spooky elements, but then you can still relate to the mom's frustration. You can still see the daughter's boredom and be like the daughter's a human character versus spoiler characters. I mean, if you haven't seen Coraline, I don't want to ruin it for you. That's a great movie. It is really good. You absolutely need to see it if you haven't. I mean, I'm not giving it a 10 out of 10, but I mean, I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Man, you guys are getting so many reviews this time. (laughs) (laughs) Also an 8 out of 10. Look, you came here for Town Called Panic. You're humoring us. We're going to give you some bonuses for humoring us on this movie. Nobody's interested (laughs) in hearing us talk about. Yeah, we're spoiling you on this episode. 
Oh my gosh, bonuses? Pew, 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 pew. All right. One of the reasons why I think that I like it so much is because I found out about a concept recently called the third place. I don't know if I've talked to you about that at all. I don't believe so. It doesn't ring a bell. So I was reading about this concept is that historically with humans, they would have a third place. And when I say historically, I mean like it died out in the 80s or so is what I was reading. But the concept is that everybody has a home to go to where they should feel comfort and they should be around people that are close to them and they should be able to eat and have privacy. They also have a workplace, the second place that they would go to work and make money and socialize with people. It's a formal situation, not a private situation. Generally is the idea. And then the third place is somewhere where you can go to be with people, not with work, not necessarily with family, but like a a public house where you could get ale or something. Or maybe like a library or something. Yeah, places where you can be to hang out. And I think churches have also been that third place for people. Mm -hmm. And I was reading that the idea of that place has been dying off since like the 80s. And part of the blame of why Cheers was so beloved is as that kind of situation was dying off, people wanted to have a place where, you know, everybody knows your name. (laughs) And since I love Cheers, but cannot pinpoint a single reason why I like Cheers, (laughs) it scratches a weird itch. And I feel like this movie does the same. Is it's like, this is a place that makes me feel comfortable being in it. Like, I know bad things don't really happen here. I I know that they have this little village. It's, It's to me, it's almost like. I could imagine myself being in this community and enjoying it, being on my own little third hill there and dealing with the policeman and, and the postal worker and Stefan and his, his wife and, and cowboy and Indian and, and Cheval, horse. It fills me with that weird sense of community that I honestly don't think I really have. Yeah, I definitely agree to the extent where I definitely been feeling the erosion of any kind of community or really like friend group in general (laughs) the third place for me has really become discord slash skype back when that was relevant i remember skype and others like team speak but yeah where locally i have very few friends and the ones that i do have i see a number of times per year i i can count on one hand and so for me looking for any kind of friend group people to hang out with and talk to that really is online on different like small private community servers of like-minded friends Yeah, that's really become my third place, as you put it. And yeah, that's definitely something that I have found myself enjoying in specific shows and movies and whatnot, is that sense of community, where, like you said, going where everybody knows your name, where you can go and be yourself amongst these people, and like in a work situation... But it's also not just your very local family. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that as well. Do you feel like there's a reason why that third place 
has been eroded so much, barring, you know, obvious pandemic events. Do you think there's any like other underlying causes for that that opportunity? That's something I'd really have to think about. Yeah. Because that is something that I was experiencing before the pandemic. Honestly, I was in a state of like having no local community so strongly that when the pandemic happened, it literally did not affect me in any way. Except for the fact that I was able to get to work a little faster <laughs> because of the lack of traffic. In my IT job, I was a critical worker, and so my job was unaffected. Uh, and for our clients, they were older folk who stayed at home who would still need computer help at home. But as far as like hanging out with friends, I did that exactly as much during the pandemic as I did before and after. And so that's been <laughs> a real problem. Yeah, like because that's the same thing for me is I moved into a neighborhood and I had a high school friend who lived near me and it was like, Hey, now that we're literally within walking distance, it'll be like a TV show. It'll be like, uh, you know, like uh, the weekenders from Disney, you know, where the, the four kids, they go and they have pizza together and they solve their problems on weekends. And it's a lot of fun. We can do that. We just need to get two more people, obviously. And then he moved. Oh, rip. But yeah, it was like, well, okay. I had other friends that were around, but it, it just sort of feels like after high school, everybody scattered. For me, I grew up, if you watched the last episode and you watched that movie I recommended, you get to really see the rural environment that I grew up in and still live near. So I did not have a lot of friends in high school. Uh, in fact, I... Just mostly just stayed to myself and I had a small friend group and that small friend group there's one person that's one I'd still hang out with the others have all moved and whatnot but that's been an issue for my entire state <laughs> so that's nothing new where everyone's moving out but yeah, as to why I can label reasons as to why that erosion of the third place has happened locally around me, but as far as nationwide, I'd have to really think about that. You've given me something to ponder. I feel like my argument, because I gave myself time to ponder with that question because I'm unfair. That is unfair. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't don't worry. I have an unfair present to the listeners later. Great. Oh no, I'm scared now. You should be. I want to make the argument that I'm an old man here and that it's technology. Because when I get home, I know that I can go online and I can go to my Discord groups and talk to people who are like-minded who will be like, "Yeah, I'll give a town called Panic a try." And that removes any need or desire to meet my neighbors. I don't know any of my neighbors except for one who was very friendly when I was moving in. And I see him doing carpentry every once in a while. He's got a beard. I call him Santa because I don't know his name. And he looks like Santa. And that's the thing. It's like, so that's not really a connection, is it? And you should be knowing people in your neighborhood. You should be. Like, is what my mind says with the community. Is 
I should be connected to the people around me, but there's no reason because I absolutely know that I can get more aligned friendships online. <laughs> On the one hand, it bothers me because then it's like, so that feels so dystopian and disconnected that I just link up to the internet and go befriend other people rather than being a part of my community. And, and I always think of the opportunity cost, you know, like by being online, I'm not out there talking with parents, I guess, <laughs> because I see there's a lot of parents in my neighborhood that walk their children. I don't have children, so that would be a little weird. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know. For me, it is slightly different because of how rural and environment that I live in is that without technology, I wouldn't have any third place like in general. So there's nowhere that you could, like, walk to a bar. No, there's no bars here. <laughs> but even then, a bar is still a place where it's pay or get out. Yeah. And before, I mean, honestly, like, if I did not have the internet to hang out with people and establish those connections, I genuinely don't know what kind of connections I'd have to anyone besides like my wife and our local families. Because, yeah, I go to church uh, and all that. But beyond that, like, everyone there is a very different age than me. Everyone around here tends to be either much older or much younger. And I'm at the age now where being friends with high schoolers would be super weird. <laughs> yeah. And is hard for me to relate to people who could very easily be my grandparents. It's a very awkward point there. I don't know where I would go to hang out with people. Yeah. So. Yeah, and... I mean, it feels sad that that's sort of a consistent truth, I think. I think a lot of people listening would agree with that. Oh, this could be people who live in New York City who don't have this problem at all and can literally just go to, uh, like, any number of, like, 30 different game stores or bookstores and cafes and whatnot where they can hang out with people. There's going to be people like that who are in that sort of fortunate situation but did you go you you went to college yeah what was your experience making friends at college so i made exactly two friends uh three friends in college and all three of us uh were in the exact same year taking almost the exact same classes we're all doing computer classes oh okay very nice and that was it. I was in a situation where the college was split between the main campus and a secondary campus. And I was in a dorm at the primary campus, which is where my like childhood best friend was roommates with me at. And my, at the time, girlfriend was. Oh, nice. And her best friend. And... All of my classes were at the secondary campus. 
Oh. And so every morning I had to wake up really early to catch the bus to then go to the second campus. And that's where I would go for all my classes. And then I'd take the bus back to the primary campus, run to my dorm, run to the band field, and do the second half of band practice because that's how it was scheduled. I still have... You were in band? Yeah. Uh, I was in the marching band in college. Oh my gosh, what did you play? Trumpet. Trumpet? Yeah. Have we had this conversation before? I don't believe so. Okay, I... I played in band, but not marching band. I played in middle school band, um, flute and piccolo. Ooh, you you struck me as a trombonist. But I still have nightmares of like going to band practice or a full-on football game and going out to march something that I've literally never practiced once or seen before because that literally happened. Oh, no. I had to wing it. Oh, no. (laughs) Trumpet's not a wing it instrument. Well, does that combine with the fact that I also had to march in sequence with the people around me at specific times oh, no. that I had not seen. And so I was also constantly looking around. It was a genuine nightmare. Oh. And I had no friends in the band as well to hang out with before or after performances. And so my friend group was split between the people I had classes with at the secondary campus and my local friends from high school who I'd eat dinner with on the primary campus. So uh, because of that needing to go between campuses and whatnot and the fact that a decent amount of my time was spent dealing with band stuff and all that, is I didn't really have much time to participate in any school activities or events that would have allowed me to meet more people. It's very interesting to me that you were in a dorm situation because I never got that with either of my college experiences. Obviously not at community college and then obviously not at a sister school state college. And so I always wondered, it's like, so maybe if I had gone to the dorm situation, maybe I would have developed stronger relationships because my experience was that I'd take a class and at least one person per quarter or semester, I would develop a very strong friendship with. And it would be like, we'd be hanging out regularly and, you know, we develop jokes and everything. And then the semester or quarter would end and it'd just be like, Hey, so you want to hang out? And nothing (laughs) and when i saw fight club the concept of disposable friends really struck me and i was like i don't know maybe i shouldn't obsess about this movie since i'm a youth male (laughs) in college (laughs) but that that part was sort of like yeah i i get that like and that frustrated me but i kind of accepted it is that a lot of friendships do have an expiration date and you just learn to enjoy it as you're there right Yeah, and for me, so, like, the way the dorms were set up for my dorm experiences is me, my roommate, and then we shared a restroom with two other dudes uh, in their own room. And 
the experience that we had for most of when we were there at the school was that it was only one dude in that dorm. His roommate left early on, and somehow he got really lucky, and he never had another roommate. Lucky? It was for him. Um, I um, unaffectionately gave him the nickname Weeaboo uh, very early on, due to his habit of... Whenever we tried to sleep, all we could hear is his very high, very loud anime intro and outro songs. Yep, yep. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because they have very detailed songs for intros and outros. I like my fair share of anime and whatnot. I gave this kid that (laughs) nickname because there's a world of difference between people who can enjoy and appreciate and even sometimes get really into a specific medium and those who make it their entire personality this kid wore anime t-shirts and jackets it's the only thing he'd ever talk about he had posters all over his wall like his bed sheets was anime (sighs) this kid (laughs) and to top it all off He was a massive turd. I feel the argument now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And at one point I caught him trying to sneak into our room because we forgot to lock the door once. And I was in there at a time that I was never in there. Like either like classes got canceled or something. So I was in there by myself playing. I think it was Star Wars Battlefront on the PlayStation 4. Oh. I was playing that when he just walked into our room. <laughs> and I stopped and looked at him and said, What on earth? <laughs> and he just said, Oh, whoops. And then just closed the door and left. The more you tell me about this character, the more I think, Yeah, somebody moved out as his roommate mm-hmm. and nobody else moved in. There might be a reason mm-hmm. at the administration side of that college. Yep. I don't know what it might be, but <laughs> I can draw some conclusions. Yeah. But anyways, we are 20 different kinds of off topic. I don't know how much of this is salvageable. Uh... Honestly, I feel like this is accurate of the movie. <laughs> is that it's it's something that feels personal. Yeah. But I did promise Oh yes. Uh, the, yes the listeners for one final gift. Yes, surprise, Adam. So I have a question for you. Okay. And that is, what is a movie that you would give a 10 out of 10 to? Specifically, what is one and why? I mentioned Spirited Away earlier, mm-hmm. and I feel like now I can't call on that to be a perfect movie. What I can say is a perfect movie for me is one where every part of it is enjoyable. If you can point out a flaw, it's not a 10 out of 10. And I don't care how small. You can be like, oh, no, 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 the plot's good, acting's good, everything's good. The music, they had some weird songs in it. Well, that's not a 10 out of 10. A 10 out of 10 has to be perfect, and it has to be enjoyable. (laughs) And I believe that has to be a movie where if somebody said, oh, hey, um, I've never seen this movie before, and I really want to see it. 
can you watch it with me? You will say yes. Doesn't matter if you just watched it that morning. You will say yes. I <laughs> love this movie. And a movie that is not Spirited Away that I want to put up is one of my favorite movies that I've tried to get people to like. And generally people do like this one more than A Town Called Panic is Swiss Army Man. <laughs> I have heard of this. I saw the trailers for it. I thought it was really weird. Yeah, I like really weird movies. <laughs> I think my wife has seen it, and I don't think she was a fan of it. It's very weird, <laughs> but it's a movie where I watched it. I was like, this is a great movie. I want to watch it again. My wife came home. I'm like, can we please watch this movie? And she's like, yeah, because my wife's awesome. And so that's what I would class is like, I watched it twice in the same day that's a high bar it is and that's why i don't give a lot of movies that high of a rating like a 9 out of 10 is much easier than a 10 out of 10 because you can say there's flaws about Coraline, but i think that 10 out of 10 leap is very very much something that should be a pedestal to stand on a movie that you love that much how about you so for me a movie that i give a 10 out of 10 to isn't necessarily one with no flaws but it's ones that if there are flaws in it they are so like minor that they don't impact the experience as a whole but a very important thing about it is that every single thing in the movie like all of the scenes all of the music, all of the acting have to work together to make it this wonderful, cohesive whole. And, yep, in the same situation, uh, I have given very few movies a 10 out of 10 in my own regard. But my favorite movie as well, is, which is the one that I'll throw out, is Aliens by Ridley Scott. The sequel. Yes, the sequel. That I've never actually seen that. Oh, I've only seen Alien. It is a movie that is so incredibly easy for me to recommend to anyone who can take some spook. The easiest way for me to get across like how much I appreciate this movie from an early age the first time uh, is I have always hated horror movies. You wouldn't get that from this podcast, like how often we talk about them. But I grew up hating them. One of the first movies I ever saw was Night of the Living Dead. I was three years old. I had nightmares about zombies almost every single night of my life until I was like 11 years old. <laughs> I am dead serious. Wow. Straight up phobia. I like Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and that gets spooky at the end it does and Train to Busan is very good uh, so you don't like zombie movies then for me to choose to watch a zombie film it has to be something special but yeah, with Aliens when I saw the original Alien and then Aliens immediately after uh, both on DVD oh, nice. I was terrified Especially the face huggers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> face huggers gave me nightmares, but I loved it. I loved being spooked by these movies, and they were truly something special for me because they were the only movies I ever enjoyed 
any amount of spook with. And aliens, to me, it really is this perfect film. I, I know a lot of people prefer the original Alien, and I, I won't disagree with them. They are totally different. One is just straight up horror, try to survive. The second is action horror. Hmm. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's an entirely different vibe, um, but every single scene in it is important to the greater hull. The characters that they want you to like are very likable, very easy to get down with and feel bad when they inevitably bite the dust. The characters they want you to not like, oh, it's real easy to <laughs> hope they bite the dust. It's really cool what they did with those special effects where it looks like there's dozens or hundreds maybe of these things. They did it with like two costumes, I think, for the entire film. Wow. And then later on with, with the Alien Queen. Like, it is crazy. It still holds up visually. And the creativity behind like what this future looks like. And the music is so good. I, I could just gush about the film forever. And that is what makes it so easy for me to see that, okay, yeah, this is a 10 out of 10 film. If this is a movie that I could gush about for literally an hour straight without coming up with a single flaw about it. Okay, yeah, if I'm going to give any movie a 10 out of 10, it's got to be that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel that. Like, and that, that's how I feel is Spirited Away, Swiss Army Man. I could talk about those movies for a long time with theories about what the movie means and, and what I enjoyed about it and why it's so good and which elements and scenes were working perfectly. But yeah, that that's, um, I don't know, that that's what this movie makes me feel. A Town Called Panic, the movie we're actually talking about. Oh, oh, right. I forgot. This is, like you said, a very easy movie to enjoy, and it is why what I was wanting to talk to you about was, like, was a movie you give a 10 out of 10 to. We agree, this is not a 10 out of 10 movie, but it's still very enjoyable, and it still makes me want to talk positively about movies in general, and it really made me feel good to watch it, and so if that's not a good movie, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I 100% agree. This has been our show. We call it, and I took that personally, starring Brad and Adam. I very much hope that anybody listening to this has enjoyed this show. Uh, I know this is a little bit different and less rage-induced than our last shows, but, um, you know, this is just a show about talking about movies and what we like about movies and things we take personally about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to end things. I love you guys so much. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Running the credits now. Bradham.